You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Today's reading will be from Exodus chapter 11, verse 1 to chapter 12, verse 28. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbours for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favourably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn son of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or any animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you, After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this is the month this month is to be your for your first month the first month of your year tell the whole community of israel that on the tenth day of this month each man is to take the lamb for his family one for each household if any household is too small for the whole lamb they must share it must share one with their nearest neighbor having taken into account the number of people there are you are to determine the amount of lamb needed to, in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take them into the fourteenth day of the month, and all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then thou to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water but roasted over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your, to your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every force firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate as it as the festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast 
in it from the first day through to the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another on the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bed, bread, because it is the, on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. On the, in the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of your door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared their homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, let's pray as we come to God's word together. Our oh, gracious Father, we so need your help uh, as we come to listen to your word, as I come uh, to preach your word. Uh, your word says that, that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting to our very hearts. We pray uh, that this day, by the power of your spirit, that your word would do just that. Uh, that it would cut to our hearts uh, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, every Anzac Day, we hear those words, lest we forget. Lest we forget. Uh, the reality is there are some things in life... Uh, that it really doesn't matter that much if you forget them. You know, it's annoying if you go to the shops, you're meant to pick up some milk, uh, but you forgot. Right? That's very annoying, I understand, uh, but it's not that big a deal in the scheme of things. You know, it's not going to affect your life that much. You go to a particular spot and you realise you forgot the keys to unlock the door. Very frustrating, I understand that, but it's not going to impact your life that much in the long term. On the other hand, there are some events like the events of Anzac Day, for example, the events at Gallipoli, other that it's really right for us to say, lest we forget. The events at Gallipoli are events that have shaped our very identity as the Australian people. We shouldn't forget those events. We should remember them and live our lives in light of them. Of course, mostly we don't. Well, I'm sure some of you uh, really enjoy listening to the last post on Anzac Day. Maybe some of you are particularly enthusiastic and you get up to go to the dawn service at the shrine. Uh, but I want to bet that, that most of us wake up on April the 26th 
and live basically our whole lives for the rest of the year with no reference to the events of Anzac Day at all. We say lest we forget, but then we forget. In today's passage, God predicts a particular event, the event of redeeming his people from Egypt. And then he provides his people with a worship festival, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to help his people to always remember that event and live their lives in light of that event. So first, let's look at chapter 11, uh, Exodus chapter 11, where we see God predicting the final plague by which he will judge the Egyptians and redeem the Israelites. In verses 1 to 3, God spoke to Moses predicting the outcome of this final plague. Look at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. If you, if you remember, or if you've got your Bible, you flick back to Exodus chapter 10, verse 28. Uh, Pharaoh said to Moses there, uh, get out of my sight, don't appear before me again. Uh, and Moses said, fine, I'm going to leave your presence. Uh, but here it seems like, like as Moses is leaving Pharaoh's courts, uh, he remembers something that the Lord had said to him previously. Uh, probably in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. Uh, the Lord there told Moses to say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you to let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. As verse 1, as verse one says, uh, this is what the Lord had said to Moses, uh, at least in large part. Uh, and he said, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And notice there that it's uh, that the Lord says, I will bring this plague. Like the previous nine plagues, this plague is a supernatural act of God. Uh, and this is one more plague. It's not just uh, another plague in the sequence. Uh, it's the final and climactic plague. That the plague that's going to bring an end to this whole saga. Uh, so the Lord uh, assures Moses of the outcome of this plague. Have a look there. He says, after that, Pharaoh will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. After this final plague, Pharaoh won't just let the Israelites go from Egypt. He'll personally drive them out of Egypt. Good riddance, he'll say. So in verses 2 and 3, the Lord tells Moses to tell the Israelites to start making preparations to leave Egypt. Uh, look at verse 2, tell the Israelites that men and women alike uh, are to ask their neighbours for articles of silver and gold. Uh, the Lord uh, made the Egyptians favourably disposed towards the people and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Uh, verses 2 and 3 here are first uh, a sign of God's uh, abundant blessing to his people. God's not only going to set them free from their slavery in Egypt, he's going to provide for their every need through the abundant wealth of Egypt. God has made the Egyptians favourably disposed towards his people. God knows as, as the sovereign ruler over all creation, as the one who holds every person's heart in his hand, he knows that many Egyptians have been so moved 
uh, by his displays of power in the previous nine plagues uh, that they will give freely to support the needs of his people. Uh, that this is a sign of God's abundant blessing to the Israelites. Uh, but it's also a sign uh, of, God's, uh, um, of God's mercy, his blessing uh, towards the Egyptians. Because these verses tell us that among the Egyptians, even as high up as the officials in Pharaoh's court, there are those who have a very high regard for Moses. And maybe you can understand that by this stage. You know, Moses has a pretty good strike rate. He's predicted nine plagues and nine of them have happened. So the Egyptians, many of them, are starting to have this deep respect for Moses. They hold him in high regard and for his people. So the Lord knows that they will give freely to support his people. For some of the Egyptians, that's where it will end. They'll just have this deep respect for Moses. But for others, their deep respect for Moses will morph into a deep respect for Moses' Lord. We know that because in chapter 12, verse 38, a passage we'll look at next week, many of the Egyptians end up going with Israel out of Egypt. Uh, and joining the people of God. Uh, so God spoke to Moses, predicting the outcome of this final plague. Uh, so in verses 4 to 8, Moses speaks to Pharaoh, predicting the effects of this final plague. Uh, in summary, the plague will bring judgment for the Egyptians uh, and redemption for God's people. Uh, have a look in verse 4. Uh, in verse 4, let, let me find it. Ah, here it is in my notes. Excellent. Moses says to Pharaoh, uh, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Notice again that it's the Lord who will go throughout Egypt. This is an act of God. And as he goes throughout Egypt in the middle of the night, verse 5, every firstborn son in Egypt will die. Every firstborn son. There's no exception. So look, look there from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne uh, to the firstborn son of the female slave who sits at her handmill. Every firstborn son will die. Uh, Adam pointed out really helpfully last week how all of these plagues uh, can be seen as direct attacks on the so-called gods of Egypt. And this 10th plague is really no different. Uh, first, it's, a, it's an attack on the Egyptian god of the dead. Uh, Osiris was its name. Uh, Osiris, who supposedly had power over life and death. But here we see that it's the Lord who has power over life and death. It's also an attack on Pharaoh himself, who earlier in this conversation with Moses claimed to have this power over life and death. You know, I said before, uh, Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Uh, but he also said to him, the day you see my face again, you will die. Right, but we know that it's seeing the glorious face of the Lord that will lead to death. Not seeing Pharaoh's face. In Exodus 33 verse 20, the Lord says to Moses, uh, You cannot see my face, for no one may see, uh, see me and live. In this tenth and final plague, the Lord is demonstrating once and for all that he is the glorious Lord over all creation. And that he is the one who has power over life 
and death. It's not Osiris, it's not Pharaoh, and it's certainly not the cows in Egypt, which maybe strikes you as a bit odd, but look at that comment at the end of verse 5. It says there, and the firstborn of all the cattle as well. A little bit strange, but, but, but the Egyptians actually worshipped the cows. So I talk about a sacred cow, that's what the Egyptians believed in. Cows shared in, in the power of the gods. But they're no match for the Lord God of Israel. It's through this tenth and final plague that the Lord will emphatically answer Pharaoh's mocking question from way back in chapter 5 verse 2. Remember Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Well, the answer here is that it's not the cows, it's not Osiris, it's not Pharaoh, it's the Lord God of Israel. The Lord who, who will go throughout Egypt in the middle of the night, bringing his destructive judgment upon, the, upon their firstborn sons. A judgment which verse 6 says will cause loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than, uh, uh, worse than uh, there has ever been or ever will be again. Now, that's quite a, quite a claim, isn't it? Right? The Israelites, so over the last nearly 430 years, uh, the Israelites have done a heck, a, lot of, a heck of a lot of wailing in Egypt, crying out uh, under the burden of their slavery. But God says all that wailing will pale into insignificance when compared with the wailing of the Egyptians on this night. Imagine being one of Pharaoh's officials listening to Moses speak these words in Pharaoh's courts. We've already seen that they have a very high regard for Moses. They know that his predictions have all come right so far. Many of them would have had sons. Imagine them at the end of this work day going home and looking at their sons and thinking to themselves, surely Moses can't be right this time. Imagine the feeling of sickness in the depths of your stomach, the feeling of impending dread and doom as you contemplate losing your son who you love. This is the Lord predicting that he's going to bring his destructive judgment upon the Egyptians. I use that word destructive, not, not just to be melodramatic, but because in chapter 12, verse 23, the Lord talks about his destroyer, the, the angel of death, entering into the homes of the Egyptians to bring his judgment. Let's not beat around the bush. This is really confronting stuff. Many of us are persuaded that Pharaoh and the Egyptians hadn't exactly been little angels. You know, over centuries, they'd caused incredible anguish and grief for the people of God. It's right for the God over all creation, who is the just judge, to bring a punishment to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But surely this punishment can't be just. It just seems so, so barbaric, so, so incredibly violent, doesn't it? Maybe some of you think it's just plain over the top. But I reckon if we, if we can get past our initial emotional response, 
we'll see that this punishment actually is just. Think about the book of Exodus alone. In Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are instituted a plan of systematic genocide by killing all the sons of the Israelites, every new son who was born. So in Exodus chapter 4, those verses that I read earlier, the Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh that because the Egyptians had punished and killed Israel, his firstborn son, he was going to punish and kill their firstborn sons. From that perspective, it just seems fair, right? You punished and killed my firstborn son, so I'll punish and kill your firstborn son. There's a certain rightness in that, a certain justice in that. And let's face it, it's not like Pharaoh and the Egyptians haven't had any warnings of God's judgment. God sent nine plagues to them already, nine opportunities for them to see that the Lord will indeed judge and for them to repent and trust in him and escape his judgment. But most of them haven't. Or maybe some of them will, chapter 12, verse 38. But most of them won't. And so they'll get the just judgment that they deserve. But as much as this final plague will bring God's judgment upon the Egyptians, it will bring his redemption to the people of God, to the Israelites. Look at verse 7. But among the Israelites, uh, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. As with the previous plagues, there's going to be this clear distinction between Egypt and Israel. And not because of the goodness of the Israelites, right? They too are sinners who deserve to be judged by God. It's because of the goodness of the Lord. The Lord, who out of all the peoples on earth, chose to bind himself to Israel, right? To Abraham and his descendants by making promises to them. So the Lord, out of his faithfulness to his own promises, his commitment to his own people, the Lord is going to provide a way for his people to be protected from this plague. Not because of their goodness, but because of his goodness. And so much so that they're going to be in complete peace. You see that there, not even a dog will bark at them. The Egyptians will be wailing in anguish, but the Israelites will be at peace. So in verse 8, Moses kind of fuming with anger, still on his way out of Pharaoh's courts. You can imagine him turning and yelling at Pharaoh. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. God spoke to Moses, predicting the outcome of this final plague. Moses spoke to Pharaoh predicting the effects of this final plague. And in verses 9 and 10, uh, the Lord uh, reiterates his purpose for these plagues. Verse 9, the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh uh, will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. The Lord's purpose in these plagues is to multiply his wonders in Egypt. It's to put on display his glory in Egypt. 
And that's the Lord's purpose in everything, to put on display his glory. Think of Psalm 19. For what purpose did God create the heavens and the earth? It's to declare his glory. Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. For what purpose did God call Israel to be his people? Did he make them and form them as his people? It's for his glory. I think of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. For what purpose did God bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? It's so that we would praise his glory. God's purpose in everything is to put on display his glory. It's so that his people would see his glory and worship him in his glory and delight in his glory. So God's purpose in these plagues is to put on display his glory in Egypt, the glory of his judgment against the Egyptians and his redemption for his people. So at the end of Exodus chapter 11, what are we expecting? Well, we're expecting what's happened every other time Moses has predicted a plague. That is, the Lord brings the plague. Uh, But this time, there's this little thing inserted, this random list of instructions about a worship festival, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What's with that? If you think about it, it's not that random, is it? The Lord's just said that his purpose in everything is that his people might glorify him, that his people might worship him. So in that sense, it's not that strange that there's worship instructions here. The point of God redeeming his people from Egypt is that they might worship him. That's why Moses has repeatedly commanded Pharaoh, let God's people go that they might worship him. So that's why these instructions are here. God uh, provides, uh, uh, provides them here. Uh, that his people might always remember the redemption that they're about to experience and live their lives in light of that redemption. Uh, There are a lot of ways we could tackle this section, but I just want to look at the the when, what and why of each aspect of this festival. Uh, So first, let's look at the when of the Passover. Uh, Take a look there at chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, God says to, to Moses that this month, right, that the month when they were, uh, they're going to be redeemed from Egypt, this month is going to become the first month of their year. Uh, and then if you look at verse 3, you'll see that the Passover is going to happen on the 10th day of the month. Uh, God is so serious uh, about his people remembering this redemption, his great act of redeeming them from Egypt, uh, that he completely rearranges their calendar. This would be like the Australian government saying, look, uh, we recognise that some of you have actually been forgetting the events of Gallipoli. Uh, So from now on, April is going to be the first month of our year. Just just to kind of drum it into your minds. You've got to live your life in light of the events of Anzac Day. God's very serious about his people remembering this. Uh, So that's the when of the Passover. The what of the Passover is largely in verses 3 to 11. Uh, And you'll notice in these verses, there's a a whole lot of detail here. It's not like the Israelites can just roll however they want with the Passover. God is extremely prescriptive uh, about how they are to worship him. 
Uh, So you'll see there in verses 3 and 4, each household is to pick a lamb. On on the tenth day of the month, they're to take a lamb, uh, but not just any lamb. Verse 5, the lamb has to be a male, uh, and it must be without blemish or defect. A year old male without blemish or defect. And then if you look at verse 6, to take care of the lamb for a few days, you know, maybe they're, they're kind of fattening it up a bit. And at twilight on the 14th day, they're to slaughter the lamb. And then you're like, well, maybe they have freedom in how they're uh, to eat the lamb. Oh, sorry, no, what are they to do with the lamb? Verse 7, uh, they're to put the blood of the lamb around the door frames of their house. And then verses 8 to 10, we get the instructions of what they're to eat with the lamb. Or they're to eat bitter herbs, presumably uh, symbolising the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt, uh, and unleavened bread. Uh, and we get instructions of how they're to cook it. They're not to eat it raw, they're not to boil it, they must roast it, which I think makes sense. You know, roast lamb, much better than boiled lamb in, in my book. Uh, and so that's how, how God says they're to do it. Uh, and then in verse 11, uh, God gives them detailed instructions on how they are to eat the Passover. Uh, They've got to have their cloak tucked in. They've got to have their sandals on their feet. They've got to have their staff in their hand. The point being that after they eat this meal, they've got to be ready to leave Egypt immediately. No time to go and grab your staff or get your sandals on your feet. You've got to be out the door. Uh, I was thinking during the week, I, I've got, I, don't, I think our family would have struggled with this. You know, whenever we want to leave the house, there's always a pair of shoes that has to be gathered up or another coat or whatever it is. God's saying, no, no time for that. You've got to be ready to leave. So that's the what of the Passover. Well, what about the why? Why do all this stuff? You kind of look at this from two different perspectives. Uh, the why for, for this initial generation in Egypt uh, is so that they'll be redeemed personally from God's judgment. Uh, look at verses 12 and 13. Uh, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, uh, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Uh, the blood will be a sign uh, for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. You see the points. The Passover lamb is to die in the place of the Israelites. It's their substitutes. The blood of the Israelites is not shed because the blood of the Passover lamb is shed. It dies in their place. It's even clearer in verses 22 and 23. Moses here is relaying the Lord's instructions to the elders of Israel. And he says there in verse 22... Uh, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the, ba- uh, in the basin, uh, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. And none of you shall go out of the, uh, of the door of your house until morning. Right? This is the ultimate stay-at-home order. Verse 23, when the Lord goes uh, through the land to strike down the Egyptians, uh, he will see the blood on the top and sides of your doorframe and will pass over the doorway uh, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses uh, and strike you down. Uh, Some of you in this last week, uh, even just yesterday perhaps, uh, have received a stay-at-home order from the government. You've gone back into lockdown. I just said, this has to be the ultimate 
stay-at-home order. Don't leave your house. This order comes not just from the Victorian government, but from the Lord over all creation. And this order is not just about avoiding the destructive plague of COVID-19, but about avoiding the destructive plague of God's judgment. And the message for this initial generation of Israelites in Egypt is very clear, isn't it? When the destructive plague of God's judgment comes upon Egypt, the only safe place will be under the blood of the Passover lamb. That's the only place they can find protection and shelter from God's judgment. What about for future generations of God's people? The why for them is that they would always remember the Lord's redemption and live their lives in light of his redemption. Look in verse 14. God says, uh, this is a day that you are to commemorate uh, for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. The same down in verses 24 and 25. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your uh, descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord uh, will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. God wants every generation of his people to observe this ceremony because he wants them to remember his great act of redeeming them from Egypt. And if that's going to happen, then they're going to have to teach their children about it. Verse 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. God provides this worship festival for his people so that they will always remember his redemption and live their lives in light of his redemption. And the second part of this worship festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is a key aspect of how they're to live in light of his redemption. Uh, We see the the when of this feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in verses 15 and 18. It's to start on the 14th day of the month, right? right When the Passover meal is eaten, and it lasts for a whole week from there. And the what, in verses 19 and 20, is is for that whole week, uh, the Israelites are not only not allowed to eat any yeast, uh, they're not allowed to have any yeast in their homes. Uh, So we're left asking, what's the big deal with the yeast? The only hint we have in today's passage is in verse 17. Have a look in verse 17. Uh, God says there, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread uh, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. So the removal of yeast is somehow connected to the removal of God's people from Egypt. So what's the connection? Well, first... It's supposed to remind God's people, the Israelites, that they were removed from Egypt in such a hurry that there was no time to wait for yeast to rise. And we see that down in chapter 12, verse 39, where it says the dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. That's the first point of this annual feast of unleavened bread. The second point uh, is that the yeast reminds Israel of how they're supposed to live as God's people. 
Because unleavened bread uh, is made out of pure wheat. You know, no yeast has got into it. That's a sign that the God's people who have been redeemed from the ways of Egypt are now being called to live pure and holy lives, lives of holiness as the people of God. So God predicts that he'll redeem his people from Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. And then he provides this worship festival so that his people would always remember his redemption and live their lives in light of his redemption. What does that mean for us? Of course, in reality, all those Passover lambs that were sacrificed generation after generation, they in and of themselves couldn't really be a substitute for a human being. It's not like a lamb can die in the place of a person. So what's with all those Passover lambs? All those Passover lambs were like signposts every year towards the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate Passover lamb. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter can say, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but, he says, with the precious blood of Christ, who is a lamb without blemish or defect. Right? Christ is the ultimate Passover lamb without blemish or or defect. And here Peter's saying that apart from Christ, all of us were once living lives that led to spiritual emptiness. It might have been a life of rebellion where you were unable or unwilling to break the chains of sin in your life. It was a life that was deserving of God's judgment. It might have been a life of religion. Or a life where you are unable or unwilling to, to break the chains of your own pride or self-righteousness or, or uh, shame and guilt and your inability to follow God's rules. It was a life that was deserving of God's judgment. Uh, but Peter says here that through faith in the blood of Christ shed on the cross, uh, that you can be redeemed from that way of life, the emptiness that it led to and the judgment of God that it led to. You can be redeemed from it, but you must have Faith. And we see that in Exodus 12, right? The only people who escaped God's judgment, who were redeemed from God's judgment, were those who took the lamb, who slaughtered the lamb, who put the blood of the lamb around their doorposts. Likewise, you can be redeemed from God's judgment today, but you must have faith. You must put your faith in the precious blood of Christ. And you should do that today. Because the reality is Christ could return at any moment to bring the destructive plague of God's final judgment. And when he comes, the only place that you, that you can be safe is under the protection of his blood shed on the cross. Your blood won't be shed if you have trusted in his blood shed. On the cross. Of course, many of us have already done that. Why we've already been redeemed through faith in the precious blood of Christ. So, how do we always remember that redemption? How do we live our lives in light of that redemption? I want to give you five R's 
Uh, the first is we've got to keep rehearing this story, this story of how God has redeemed us through faith in the blood of Christ. What does that mean? It means you actually have to be reading your Bible or being in a gospel community, being at church where, where you can listen to God's word preached. Now, some of us think we're really good at remembering this stuff, but let's not kid ourselves. We're a whole lot more forgetful than we realise spiritually. We must keep rehearing this story. And not just rehearing it, but reflecting on it. Uh, Gabby and I have got this uh, large kind of fan on the wall of our lounge room. And I must admit, I hardly ever notice it's there. But the other day, someone came into our house and they said, man, that's a really, that's a really beautiful fan. I took a second look at it. I thought, yeah, you're right. It actually is quite beautiful. I reckon lots of, it are, uh, lots of us are a little bit like that when it comes to Jesus' redeeming death on the cross. You've been a Christian for a while, but you just haven't taken a second look at Jesus' death for a while. You haven't reflected on it. You haven't contemplated it and meditated on it to the point where you go, actually, that is incredible. That's amazing. We've got to rehear the story. We've got to reflect on the story. We've also got to relive the story or reenact the story. And I want to suggest that attending church is a key way that you can do this. Uh, every Sunday, we structure our church services so that you, in a sense, can relive this story. We remind you that you were once dead in your sin. We confess our sins to God. We embrace uh, the, the redemption that we have in Christ and in the promises of the gospel. Uh, and then we, call, and we remind ourselves of the call to live our lives as God's holy people. Be at church every Sunday and you'll relive this story. You'll also relive it as we share in the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus knew that we would be incredibly forgetful about his redeeming death on the cross. Uh, so he gave us the Lord's Supper and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, so that we would actually remember his redemption and live our lives in light of his redemption. Rehear the story, re, uh, reflect on the story, relive the story. And as, you'll do, as you do that, more and more you'll be able to live your life, your whole life, in light of the story. And one aspect of that is revering God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, I Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Why? Why reverent fear? Because, Peter says... You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, uh, but with the precious blood of Christ. As Christians, we're called to live in a way that shows appropriate respect and awe, appropriate reverence for the price God has paid to set us free, the precious blood of his Son. God forbid that we would live in a way that it somehow cheapens the blood of Jesus. And one way of showing that appropriate respect is by removing sin from our lives. Because Christ's precious blood was shed, not just to pay the penalty for our sins, but to set us free from the power of sin. A sin will always be present in our lives, but we're called as God's liberated people, his redeemed people, to do all we can to remove sin from our lives. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Paul says this. He says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new, unleavened batch. You see, a pure batch, a, a holy batch. 
as you really are. Why? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. By the blood of Christ, we've been redeemed from our sinful way of life. So now we're called to remove sin from our lives and live as God's holy people. As those who've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, we're called to always remember his redemption and live our lives in light of his redemption, lest we forget. Please pray with me. Our gracious Father, you know uh, just how forgetful we are. Uh, We confess that that we so often live much of our lives uh, outside the remembrance of of Christ's great act of redeeming us at the cross. Uh, Please help us this week uh, to remember his great act of redemption and to live our lives in light of his redemption. In his name we pray. Amen.